Clean contact. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Or the moment defines you. Hello and welcome to the Golf Practice Podcast. I, my name is Andy Hayes, and I am here with um, both Pete's. We have Peter Donahue, Pete Leidenweber. Guys, welcome! Thanks Thank for you. being here. Yes, Andy, we're we're excited to be here. I can feel Pete's excited. Yeah, and yeah. I am too. Very Pete, happy to be here. Pete, you're flying to Seattle. Flying this to Seattle today, this so afternoon. We're squeezing this in. We just, I mean, and we just got done with a net repair project that none of us were looking forward to, and uh, we handle it beautifully. Teamwork here this morning and getting the scaffolding down and put away and complete makes me feel good about us. Now we just have to wait for a, someone to hit a shot back there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure we won't have to wait long, probably yeah. as long as the podcast. And then you guys will be back there banging them. So we have a very specific topic today, and I'm not sure why this came to my mind, but I texted you, Pete, yesterday of what are the trends in golf instruction that have happened over the past, I don't know, however many years. I think I said 20 to 30, and it looks like you've made a list. How far back did you go? Well, you know, I came into, I came into the golf business in 1978, and... Um, and then in 1985, I started to um, open up my. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. From 1978 to 1985, I was uh, apprenticing and trying to getting in and out of the golf business, trying to decide if this is what I really wanted to do. And once I got into it in the early 80s and moved forward, um, you know, I would say from then. So it's 30, 35 years. Okay, yeah, because. Because I was thinking about how today, on um, in the world of like Instagram and YouTube, the very like popular golf instruction is, I guess I'd say it gets to be very very like technical and finding out like exactly what, you know, this is exactly how Tiger Woods moves his his pelvis and his his radial even supination and all these you know all these very highly technical words, um, that to me remind me of what my picture of what like the golfing machine would be, which was you know, kind of a long time ago. I know it's a little bit different. Um, but I was interested in the question of are these, you know, is the way that this like popular way that people look for golf instruction today, is that uh, like building on, you know, past things or is it kind of just, uh, you know, is it building on p previous work that like this is actually like, a better way to learn the game, um, you know, based on everything we've learned from, you know, our, our elders and our ancestors or is it... Um, you know, is it just like a new trend? You know what I mean? So, yeah. so maybe I think through this, maybe that's not a question to ask, answer directly, but like through hearing kind of what you, what you came up with here, we might find, yeah. find an answer a little bit. Yeah. I think that, uh, you know, when I came into the golf business, the period of time that we're talking about, I think has been, uh, you know, a time of, of tremendous growth and transition, uh, in the, in the golf business. I mean, I feel like it's, uh, golf instruction as an educational 
institution uh, or e evolution was um, was was at a place when I came into it where we were just all doing our best to imitate the champions and the most and and everybody had a theory about what the champion was doing, including the champion and um, and and so whether it was Bobby Jones or whether it was Sam Snead or Ben Hogan or Jack Nicholas. Um, it was Golf My Way. Hmm. And uh, that Nicholas, that he titled his book Golf My Way, was, was, uh, was a real statement of, of honesty and humility, I think. It was just like, hey, this is the way I do it, not the way it necessarily needs to be done. But <clears throat> what happened then after that was that the science started to, to uh, add to things. I mean, in the 80s, the uh, development of the video camera was really the first uh, technology that, that we had to, to use to, to review. The, the coach could review the, the swing in slow motion and see things uh, that uh, he couldn't see very well with his eye. Um, I mean, they say uh, that uh, a naked eye can't tell, uh, can't distinguish between five degrees of difference in a swing path, or maybe more. Um, you know, you think you see what you see, and that's not actually what's happening. It was, and and so, um, so the video camera was a was a big change, and for a while it just dominated everything, and for a long while it dominated everything, and it and it. It's interesting that when you, know, when you look at certain trends or developments, how you see them from the perspective of now looking back 30-some years and saying, well, how did it go? You know, was it a, is it a net gain for us? Uh, does it help everybody? Was it the boon that everybody thought it would be? And I think, I think one of the things that you find is that you can, um, you can misuse it you know, you can use it uh, to excess. You can, I've seen a lot of, uh, over the years, a lot of books that I've read on golf. Uh, the author is, is uh, showing you pictures of things in stop action and telling you what's going on. But um, whether or not the picture actually substantiates what the author is saying or not is, is a lot of times highly questionable. So, you know, um, someone said to me once, it, it's not, seeing is not believing. You see what you believe you're going to see. And for the most part, that's true. You know, that, that when someone has a belief about, you know, whether the club's swinging up or down, you can show them a picture of it and ask them. And even though you can see the shaft leaning forward towards the target, if they believe it's a scoop, they'll, they'll tell you it's swinging up. And so... Um, so, uh, so technology uh, certainly uh, has, you could say, has, has dictated the trends to some point. Um, but when I feel like when I got into the golf business, we were moving from that isolated guru state, like who's, you know, hey, there's a guy out on the West Coast that's talking about doing this, and, and you know, what? And they were, you know, it was just like, the world was bigger and there were more isolated corners of it. Do you have an example of that? that sounds awesome. Well, I mean, the, uh, uh, I would say that, um, 
I remember going down to Florida in 1981 to play on the mini tours, and I was hitting balls out on the range one day uh, with a bunch of guys, and everybody's kibitzing, just like you know you see on tour, and because uh, all the, most of these guys knew each other, and uh, and somebody was talking about some guy over on the other side of Florida that was that was teaching hitting a ball with such a firm lead wrist that it felt like a slice, but it drew. Now, what? <laughs> like, who is this guy? <laughs> What's his name? I gotta go see him. And uh, and technology was springing up, you know, over at, at Grand Cypress, um, you know, Nicholas's place in Florida. Uh, Ralph Mann uh, was starting to digitize videotape and build stick figures. And so, you know, they built a golf school around um, taking the X, Y, and Z, uh, whatever you'd call those dimensions or... The axes. Uh, the axes, yeah. exactly. Uh, on players, on their wrists and their elbows and their chins and their eyeballs and... And uh, they, they threw all this stuff into a computer and created, out of uh, 150 tour players, created an average and, and created a model swing. And, and they would stretch it to, to tall to match Pete Line and Weber, and then they'd stretch mm -hmm. it wide to match me. And uh, they fit everybody into this, this one thing. And they had this science, you know, behind it, like, well, I mean, the science was all pretty compelling if you believed that having a swing made up of average <laughs> is valid, right? Um, but then at the same time, Mike Adams is, is uh, down the way over at PGA National, and he's got an approach which comes out of Homer Kelly's school of thought, which was, yes, there are, there are different swings. And we can actually not just observe symptoms of those swings and say, oh, you see, this is different from this. Andy is tall, and he swings upright. And this guy's short, and he swings flat. Um, and Adams was looking at this from like, well, there's actually more to it than that. You know, there are body types. You know, there's there's the length of certain bones and the and the ability to turn, and then there's also personality. Some guy wants to rip at it hard. The other guy's kind of languid and slow the way he walks. And so there's, you know, there's different things to consider. And so uh, Adams, when you'd go to uh, one of his schools, he would take you through certain screens or physical tests and, you know, look at you and say, no, you're a... You're a width swinger, you know. I want you over here, and you're a leverage swinger, and you're a arc swinger, and you know, and, and that was his original cut at body types and swing types, but um, you know, so so these were uh, these all kind of developed off on their own, and at the same time, you know, when I got in the business in 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 eighty or you know around that time, you had. Um, you had the, the, the golfing machine, which influenced people uh, like uh, Mac O'Grady and Martin Hall, Annika Sorenstam, and now Bryson, 
you know, yeah. that, that there's been a, a line, a, a family tree of thinking that's come out of, of Kelly's work. How, Pete, how familiar are you, are you with that golfing machine? Only from, from what's Pete, what Pete's told me. So not, not super familiar, but, uh, I mean, some of the stuff rings a bell from what yeah. you've told me in the past. Okay. So maybe we need a little, a little, uh, well, Homer Kelly fresher. was an engineer and, uh, he wrote a book, um, you know, that, that was really kind of like a engineering catalog book. It's very obscure because you're not, he gives you a, uh, a routing, a best routing through his book that doesn't start at chapter one. He says start at chapter four, then go to seven, then read 8A, then go. So Kelly was, uh, and, uh, and so he was really the first guy to, to try to define how, how players, different athletes, can use uh, uh, different, te- different modes of operation at a joint or a lever or a sequencing in order to you know, produce power and square the club and, and all that kind of stuff. And Kelly said, you know, uh, it, when, when uh, asked about, you know, gee, this isn't very simple, you know, there was a huge trend, uh, you know, at the time I was getting in the business, golf teachers like to say, well, I just try to keep things simple, you know, and, and I always thought, well, how do you do that? You know, I mean, you got to be really damn good to be be simple. And Kelly himself said, demanding that golf instruction be kept simple does not make it simple. Only incomplete and ineffective. Hmm. And so he so was saying... I'm sorry, who said that? Homer Kelly. Okay. And so, you know, and in my case, you know, I, I mean, I knew as I was a young man coming along, I, I could, you know learn things, learn things uh, that caught my eye, like is the head bobbing up and down and are the, is the stance too wide and is he too far away and where is the club at the top of the backswing. But as soon as we went into the downswing, that became just like, that was like a mystery. Like, well, I hope you can figure that out because I can't see it and I don't understand it and, you know, I just hope it works. I hope nobody finds out that I don't know everything <laughs> about what's going on <laughs> in your swing. And so, uh, so at any rate, that's what Kelly was heading towards. And at the same time, uh, Cochran and Stobbs were commissioned by Sir Ainsley Bridgeland, and their study, Search for the Perfect Swing, really uh, looked at uh, golf uh, sought to to see if there was a secret to a swing, and and went at it in two ways. Started building models, mechanical models and mathematical models, and observing expert and and players. And it was the first really scientific study done to it, and it really started a new age. Um, you know, where we weren't just looking at Ben Hogan. Uh, and going, oh, you know, we were we we're now starting to try to tear it down a little bit. Not much, because we didn't we didn't have much info back in in the day. Some people had insight, but again, that was like the guru sure. golf stuff. Like Jim McLean understands Ben Hogan, but 
and claims no one else really does. I mean, I'm not saying, I'm sorry if I'm slandering Jim because maybe he didn't say that. But a lot of people, that that's what we did. That's how we <laughs> differentiated ourselves back in the day. Like, you think you know Hogan's secret? No, no, I know Hogan's secret. Why, why is Men Hogan the, just like the ultimate thing? Like, if you figure out what, Ho- like, even today people are yes, like, still. well, Hogan, you know, Hogan did this. So, so that means I'm right. Yeah. Like, why is that? Like, why is he the gold standard? Yeah. Well, because because he established, uh, he he pulled away from everybody else because of his devotion to practice. He just out practiced everybody, mm-hmm. and he studied, and he and he had to struggle so hard to to get where where he needed to get to that he understood a lot. Yeah. Because of the struggles that he went through. And so, and then he became the greatest, you know, purest, most reliable ball striker, uh, you know, on tour. Was he a better player than Byron Nelson? Um, I, you know, I don't know whether he was because I, I, you know, I, I'm not that much of a historian about the game, uh, but I know Nelson was damn good. But somehow Ben, Ben earned that spot in golf that Michael Jordan and Bill Russell. Uh, in basketball, have earned. It's it's he he's almost seems to be elevated like beyond them because there's just there's no for whatever like he no one would say that he had a more or I guess when people talk about who had the most accomplished career, it's either Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus, at least in today's you know. No one no one says like, oh, Ben Hogan was the best of all time. It's like either Tiger or Nicholas. But yet Hogan, because of his swing for some reason, is, you know, held to the standard that, that those guys aren't. And I don't know I don't know why. I don't know that well, it's earned. I, th- I think when you when you when you see the, the kind of things that he was able to do, like when, when Hogan went over and played in the one British Open that he ever played in, he played it at the hardest golf course in my opinion, on the Rota, and that's Carnoustie. And, um, and he had to qualify. So he played 72 holes of the tournament and 36 holes of the qualifying. Now, in 108 holes, he missed five fairways. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you tell me. You yeah, think I mean, Nicholas could have well, done that? Well, I don't know. I don't, nobody else does. Yeah. You know, and Hogan was the only guy on this uh, this par five where they had uh, they have a there's out of bounds. There's a shooting range to the left uh, on the hole, so mm-hmm. there's an out of bound fence, and and Hogan went out there and and you know hit shots from all over the this hole and determined that the best place to come from was between the bunker. Uh, there was a bunker yeah. down the left down the, side yeah. between the fence and the bunker. Yeah, so right. he's trying to fit this thing into a 15-yard with taking on the out-of-bounds, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So it's not just 15 yards between trees. It's like, no, no, I'm sorry. You're going to have to re-tee it, Mr. Mm-hmm. Hogan. That's out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was the only guy that would take that line. So Hogan, Hogan's ball-striking, um, you know, uh simply became legendary and and his the fact that he won three major championships that year 
and couldn't have competed in the other because of the conflict with the PGA and the and the uh, Open Championship. So he won everything that year, and and in that you know that period uh, after his accident, I mean, it, it, it's like Tiger in a different way, but it would be like Tiger coming back from his fall yeah. from grace. That's what happened with Hogan. I think he 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 came back from the dead. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I'm not trying to you know slander Mr. Hogan here. But no, no. I'm more com- more commenting on that, like, Ben Hogan is not, you know, I would imagine if you polled average golfers on, like, golfers that they know, they many more would know Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus than would even know Ben Hogan or had ever even seen Ben Hogan swing. But yet, for instructors today, it's like, if you know, as you were saying, if you, quote-unquote, know Hogan's swing, like, y- that elevates you in your theory above you know, above anyone else. Well, I would say that probably, you know, guys that, that love to watch video, mm-hmm. you know, would, would talk more, more, you know, about more people than Hogan. Mm-hmm. It's just those of us. He's that, the one that jumps out. Yeah, he, he's definitely. Yeah. Well, we all lead with Hogan because that Hogan mm-hmm. is the primer. Yeah. It's like he, you know, he was the first guy to, to really, uh, to really, 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 really dig it out of the dirt, and and therefore and struggle through it, and and develop something on his own that that was uh, stood the test of time. Yeah. So, so at any rate, right. we had Hogan, and then and then uh, we had Search for the Perfect Swing, the golfing machine, and but then we also had it really at the same time the Inner Game of Golf by Tim Galway. And uh, shortly thereafter, we had Golf is Not a Game of Perfect by Bob Rotella. And, um, and then we had The Little Red Book, you know, which was homey and homespun teaching and stuff like that, which was beautiful stuff. You know, Harvey Penick, uh, his under his tutelage, you know, he produced t- two champions, ben, uh, Crenshaw and, and Tom Kite, who were very different people one of them was a guy who loved hanging out on the range and the other guy was a guy Crenshaw didn't like hanging out on the range liked to learn golf on the golf course so Harvey you know in uh, while uh, search for the perfect swing and the golfing machine were tearing the swing apart Galway was uh, reaching for how you get the best out of yourself uh, and as was and Rotella was the same way and and Harvey was a man who practiced you know coaching not just teaching and then in 1989 uh, there was uh, Mike Hebron who was the ecumenical force in the, in the golf world uh, spearheaded a a, a meeting uh, which was the first uh, international teaching, golf teaching and coaching summit. And, um, and that was a different trend. I mean, the trend was that we were going to share information instead of just compete with one another and fire over the, the wall at, at one another, and that we were going to agree to disagree. And... Uh, and I don't remember all of the presenters at that thing, but there were 800 of us there from, from around the world. And uh, 
Bob Tosky, Carl Lauren, Ben Doyle are three guys that really stuck out to me because Bob Tosky was was a guy who had started, you know, the first uh, golf academies that, that were really very popular, the Golf Digest Academies. And he was, he was renowned as an arrogant, headstrong guy. And I think, I think Tom Kite might have even been a speaker or presenter at this. And Kite, although he never referred to them directly, I think, you know, spoke about Toski and the relationship between players and coaches and that some coaches were overbearing and felt like it was their way or the highway, where as Kite felt like they should really work more with the player and collaborate with them more. And Toski, for all of his reputation, to me, set a, set a, a tone for all of us as far as coaching and teaching, and that is when here's the most celebrated teacher really in this country saying, I... I looked at myself and I, my teaching and I realized I wasn't getting my students organized enough for accomplishment. He could give tips in the lessons, but he wasn't affecting, helping affect change, real lasting change with people. And, uh, and Carl Lauren was there from, from an, another era as far as I was concerned. Here was a guy that walked around stage with a, with a beautiful golf glove on his left hand, in his right hand, his right fist thrust into his back pocket as if he didn't have a right hand because Carl believed that all virtue came from the left side, the left arm, the left hand, and all evil came from the right. <laughs> and Ben Doyle, who was a protege of Homer Kelly, uh, came out and, and unfurled an enormous rug that had all the teaching principles on it and muttered and mumbled his way through uh, his presentation in one of the strangest (laughs) (laughs) hours I've ever spent. (laughs) But they were all, uh, they were all interesting, interesting guys. And, uh, and it was a, it was a uplifting, I think for all of us because it, it, started a trend and that was towards an open-mindedness and a and a sharing that uh, that we didn't have and I think you know when you look at trends in the game I think you're always going to look at the celebrated teachers because they're the the pathfinders and they've been there since the beginning Um, and then you're going to look at technology and then you're going to look at marketing because um, you know in in uh, because the technology definitely led us to certain trends and, uh, and, and broadened us from just being swing teachers into being coaches, you know, which, uh, you know, you can say Scott Fawcett, you know, is that, is that a trend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I mean Fawcett is a, is a thinker who's, who built on another guy's thought process, right. and, and he's taking it you know, further than that. And that's, that's the way things go. And we can trace teaching, you know, in, in that development of ideas. What would Fawcett say about Hogan aiming between that bunker and the OB (laughs) fence? (laughs) Yeah. It'd be interesting what he would say, you know, I mean, uh, it would be interesting what he would say, like, because, you know, there's, um, 
you know, there's odds and probabilities, and then there's, yeah, but you could pull off the miracle yeah. here, pal. You know, and well, it's like in baseball, trying to find the middle ground between analytics and just feel. Yeah, you know, you look at a guy like not to get too off topic, but Tony Larusa for the Sox is teaching or is coaching the Sox in a, in a much more old-fashioned way as compared to maybe I don't know who's the Rams head coach, football coach. Scott or uh, Sean McVay is yeah. a completely different type of style, and both work in, in different ways. But yeah, anyway, yeah, no, no, it's very interesting. Uh, I I agree. I think that uh, um, I think that uh, you know going from uh, when you think about golf my way, and you go you know through uh, through guys like Jimmy Ballard, you know Ballard. Uh, basically came along and said, uh, you know, all this old stuff like Carl Warren's belief that the left hand is virtuous and the right hand is evil and, and, uh, and, uh, and keep your head down and keep your arms straight and all this stuff. Ballard came along and, and talked about levels and connection. And uh, even though he's very controversial and some people, you know, uh, there's a famous uh, uh, interview that was done at a subsequent uh, teaching and coaching summit where some guy really attacked him. And Ballard said, hey, listen, I've helped a lot of people. And, and, and honestly, he, he might have rubbed people the wrong way, but he added to, the, to our knowledge base. I mean, connection, nobody talked about connection before, before Ballard and fire your right side through it. You know, people were hitting into back-bending bows, you know, all over the place back in those days, and wasn't a particularly healthy thing to do. And uh, and you know, he changed he changed us. Uh, John Jacobs, you know, came and said, "Listen, the ball's reacting to the club. You know, you got to understand angles of attack and, and and club paths and and face angles and stuff like that." And, and uh, and he again. I've I think I might have mentioned to you guys. I was uh, cleaning out some VHS tapes from my my library in the basement uh, recently, and I and I went online to see if I could replace uh, some of these old VHS with uh, stuff that that uh, guys like John Jacobs have said. And I I swear to God, if you go if you look up on YouTube, John Jacobs addressing the. Uh, teaching and coaching summit it is absolutely the the very first thing i would recommend for any teaching professional to to view and to digest and to return to often byron nelson you know was the same way i mean he taught ken venturi you know to fade you know pull cuts and push draws and and you know that was uh nelson did did this in a very quiet way but you know he he, in many ways, like uh, Jacobs, is, is one of the you know the fathers of modern teaching. I have a few questions I wrote down. Sure. Um, Michael Hebron is kind of known for. He used to be like a devout disciple of the golfing machine, and taught in a very like technical way, and then had a moment where. Like the other, like maybe Bob Tosky, where he said like his students weren't getting better, even though he had all like the correct information, yeah. and then so he like comp- like really like changed his his style t- like 
completely away from, you know, being super technical. And now, like, if you look up people online and like message boards and stuff, all everyone's like, I wish he would teach how he used to. So like, oh really? Yeah, yeah I mean, just like technical, you know, technical-minded people, you oh, know, as opposed to, you know, and so 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 did, I guess when did that happen? Bef- what stage was he at when he did the teaching and coaching summit? Do you know? Did that? I would assume that happened after that, but I, I could be wrong. You know, I you know I I'm not really sure. As I said, I'm not I'm not that much of a historian about uh, different guys, but I would say that I would say that he was somewhere at at the uh, somewhere at the beginning mm-hmm. of his change. You know, because. Um, I think you know part of his his desire to uh, instigate this was a, a personal desire to expand his own, yeah. you know, uh, repertoire, his own approach to what what he was doing. So, um, and I think you know we, a lot of us felt that way. You know that, uh, and 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 thank God that people came along like uh, like Rotella, and uh, and like Chuck Hogan. Chuck Hogan is a is a guy who was a West Coast guy, uh, who uh, taught a lot of workshops, and he and he taught uh, he taught a, a kind of a return to play, you know, and to have a and to and to recognize the the student uh, more, and uh, and thank God for that because all of these guys, you know, saved guys like me. From you know going down a road of you know just uh, searching for uh, technical instruction rather than um, kind of shaping and encouraging self discovery. Yeah, did, where then my next question is where like in the eighties you know with Galway and um, I don't know the other names you mentioned. Did they ever get like? Did they get a big traction among? Like golf professionals? No. Yeah. No. Uh, it was still just technic- technique, right? Uh, yes. I think we were... Um, I think that... Uh, I think that... Uh, I had a friend one time who was, a, who was a clinical psychologist, Jim Vickery. And Jim used to... Uh, we used to do workshops together. And Jim would refer to some of this stuff. And here's the psychologist. He'd refer to some of the stuff that I was referring to, which was stuff that was stimulated by Galway and Hogan and stuff, as Swami stuff. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to talk about Swami stuff again today? <laughs> so so uh, I think that uh, it was it was not considered uh, in not considered manly i don't think no i don't think so at all i think that's part of it like yeah like uh you know like lynn i get their names confused maria and pia nelson Nelson. right who they're i would say they're a version of tim golly like today right they're doing stuff with um you know like balance tempo tension focusing on those things and warm up and teaching and training and you know Focusing on me- like how you remember and store shots after you know, so all very 
I, I don't know. Swami. Sw- sure, Swami <laughs> things. And they have their biggest, you know, their clients are all LPGA players. Yeah. And then, like, they have one, P- like, Russell Knox is the only, like, PGA player, like, one person. And it's so interesting that they have such a big, you know, in, like, like the Jutana Gardens, like, very, like, well, like, excellent players, yeah. like, have found success with them. But the men are are not as into it. And so it seems like that's how it's always been, you know, I guess you know, all the names you've listed, there are just like white, old white guys. Um, no offense, Pete. I mean, we're all going to be yeah. old white guys at yeah. some point, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, but I think that shows like, we're, even today we're still missing, we're, we're still missing things, you know, like we're not getting as maybe in our own, it's interesting to think in our own teaching or our own like development of our game. Like, are we missing things because of our own, you know, biases or, or like prejudice. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about it. You know, I, I think I think that I was just thinking about a, a you know a student uh, that um, I didn't uh, I didn't prepare him for the path adequately. You know, he's. Uh, uh, and I feel I feel like I, I you know I failed him in that regard because you know he he came thinking uh, having high expectations and a very kind of uh, underestimating the task and the time and you know what I know about um, about this this stuff is that uh, if you're not really a great athlete it's going to take you some time. But you can learn to become a better athlete through golf. I was with a man this morning, um, a student George, who, uh, you know, is uh, is a musician and a, and a studious guy and an introverted guy. He's not a doesn't look like an athletic guy and doesn't think of himself as an athletic guy. And I told him this morning, I said, "Man alive, that is really a graceful, supple." powerful motion you're you're making you're flailing with that club and you know your body is is moving in a, in a beautiful way in the balance and you're whipping that thing and uh and he i've known george for i don't know eight or ten years so i know that he, he he's changed himself over time brian funai same way i mean brian is like lagging it and lashing it and it's like He's tickled to death. Now, this this man that I failed, you know, went uh, just uh, puts himself into terrible situations, uh, beats himself up for not, you know, focuses more on the the crappy stuff. Can't, you know, gets himself starts okay, gets himself buried, leaves the golf course hating himself, and um, and then you know. Um, Thinks that um, thinks that he just uh, you know needs uh, somebody else. I think to tell him tell him better how to do things. And you know if he if if I had been able to make the process more more uh, truthful, but but engaging for him, mm-hmm. and not having to think, or maybe there was no way around my getting uh, uh, helping him around his expectations that he was going to go out and play in pro-ams and play with his friends and gamble and stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> his friends are shooting in the 80s. He's shooting 115 or, you know, it's like, wait, it's you yeah. know. But, um, but, but the coaching part of it, I think, is, 
is uh, is you know such a big part of it. The, the swing teaching is not yeah. All of and it. so is that what you said a, a while ago? Um, I forget the name. Maybe Paul Reagan or one of those guys was focusing more on coaching than teaching. Is that what you mean by that? What you just said? Yeah. And coaching to me is getting the job done. Yeah. Hey, we're we're, we're going to get the job done. I mean, you're going to be. Uh, we're we're going to get this by, and it sh- shouldn't take us, or it's sh- you know we're going to shoot for a time, mm-hmm. or, or we're going to work until you understand this, until you're able to command it, and then um, you know then come back to me. Yeah. When you got a question or you've you've accomplished the task. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's so hard um, for my own, you know, in my own, you know, development of golf. Like I, you know, the people I've talked about that I like a lot are George Gankus, but then also like Michael Hebron and Galway and stuff. And and like Hebron will say, don't, you know, don't, you know, if you focus too much on, on internal things or on like swing mechanics, that's not like the best way to get better or the best way to like make change. And so like I read that and it's kind of like inspiring and it's like, Oh, like cool. Like what could that mean? But then in my own swing, whenever I have like a bad day or something, my mind just goes to like, let's take a video and let's see how it compares to, you know, what Genghis has been telling, you know, teaching and what should I focus on? Okay. Now I got it. Now I need to focus on, you know, what my legs are doing in this part of the swing because they're not doing that. And then it, like I'm focused. I'm like tech. I'm like doing it that motion better, but I don't feel like I'm getting. I don't feel like I've gotten like noticeably different or better than than like last year at this time. You know, I'm kind of the same, the same type of a, a of golfer. Um, you know, I feel like I know more about my swing and I'm more tech, more maybe more technically sound. But it's it's almost like the the brain's like default to like knowledge and technique technique and stuff like gets in the way yeah yeah i mean i think you have to practice mindset you know i I think you have to you know practice um i think playing catch with with people is is one of the uh great ways to get yourself out of that mindset you can you know take foam balls or almost balls and do it but as soon as you you have a live target Mm. that you're connecting with and that that's your that you're reacting to that, then you know you get to a playful place that that uh, you know calls yeah. forward. Just you know the let's see what you got. Now I believe that the things that you're working on with your legs and with your whatever, I believe that that uh, that is gym work. I mean, you sure. you should approach that as gym work, and you should do it, because I think the mistake that golfers make is is to say, oh well, you need to get swing into a braced right leg, or you need to post up, you know, like this over your left side, and, and if your body isn't up for that, then it's like beating a dead horse. Yeah, good luck. Yeah, I mean, you're you're just going to put yourself in tense. Uh, unbalanced situations and you know stress yourself and you're not going to be successful but if you pattern the motion you know in a deliberate way uh you know through you know whatever i I won't go into specific exercises because that's 
we can do that on another day. But but once you become functional, you know, with that motion and with that strength, with that whatever it is, then you don't need to worry about thinking about it in your swing. Your body's going to do it because now you're equipped to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, but you were talking as a for instance to me uh, the other day about, you know, feeling like, well, at the top of my backswing with my, you know, my my trail leg or coiling into that it didn't, didn't just didn't feel right and 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 i think when you got stuff like that it means that you need to go work on it you need to learn how to load that leg and you need to you know because there's something in there that's doesn't want to do it and and it leaves you with a with a a moment in your swing where you're vulnerable because you're not really in balance, or you're not really grounded, or you you haven't you need to do something in order to to put your leg in a different position, and somehow you're not able to do that, you know, in order to to drive down or whatever it is that you've got to do. Yeah, I mean it's so it's it's a, it's a good example because like my le- I say my leg. My leg and my hip, my leg would just like extend like too soon in my backswing, which would make me not necessarily finish my turn, but then also on the way down, I would get kind of like dumped like under the plane and feel like I was having to tilt back to to hit the ball. And so the, you know, the one way, like the Gankus way is like, let's work on that leg. You know, I've got some drills I can do, you know, whatever. But I wonder, but like the Pia Nilsson and Lynn Marriott way would say, Oh, another reason I don't finish my turn is because I get like tense. And so that like for sure happens with driver when I'm not feeling good that day. Like I get tense, I'm not going to, you know, finish the turn. So then they would say, well, you actually don't have like your leg is maybe not the most important issue. We have another issue that we have to work on before that. Um, And then I wonder if the Michael like Hebron way would just say like, hey, can you swing, like, can you hit, like, big slices for a while? Like, can you just get that club coming so, like, so far over the plane, whereas, like, you're not, you're swinging in almost a different way that's going to help you feel, uh, so then when you try to go back to straight, it's going to be more on plane as opposed to under the plane. So there's three different ways to, to kind of do it, but I feel like the way that my mind defaults to is, is, like, and other people's, and and we see, like, lots of other people default to this based on, you know, the list you just gave us is like that technical side of it. I don't know about that. I think that, uh, you know, the notion of, um, you know, like you're saying, overcorrection mm-hmm. um, is, uh, is a very strong, has become a very strong tool, you know, in golf instruction. I think, I mean, I don't mean to say that everybody uses it, but... Um, but uh, you know, a lot of people know about it and and would subscribe to that that way of thinking. The problem, you know, that I've uh, experienced with that again is that, and this I, I think you can call it a trend in golf instruction. When we started uh, the academy, the original academy we call Green to Tee, after. Bob Tosky's approach that the best way to learn the game was from close to the green and working your way back. When we started that, uh, what was revolutionary about it it was that we weren't a weekend or a week-long golf school. We were a a school that if you signed up to train with us, the the training program went on uh, over a minimum of 12 weeks. 
And so it was based on the idea that, that creating new habits took time. And so, you know, what could we really accomplish? Um, and it was uh, not a lot of people not, you know, that want to take lessons want to commit to that. Right? They, they don't want to commit to the long haul. What you'll see with most people is that they'll uh, come and take lessons from you until they go out and have a bad round, and then they won't come back for a lesson because there wasn't any uh, plan laid out for them from the beginning. I mean, I, I gave uh, a, lesson, a couple of lessons to a man uh, this summer who was coming way, way from the inside, and swinging way inside out, and the angle of attack was so shallow that he couldn't make contact with anything. He'd hit two feet behind the ball, and it. But he was following, you know, an instruction that he'd gotten. You know, sure. turn more, swing out to the right, and so, you know, I had said to him, <laughs> I mean, can out of this stance, can you hit that target way the hell over here to the left? Oh, he said, oh my God, that's coming over the top. I can't do that. And I said, well, give it a try. Let's see if you can do it. Even Can you hit the ground over here outside, you know, forward of your left foot from that stance? Okay, I'll try it. And then he did. And finally, what it did, that overcorrection, is it pulled him so that he was swinging, his path was swinging more straight, and he was able to find the bottom of the arc around the ball. Well, I I just you know I I've thought you know because he, he he and I have known each other for you know like thirty years uh, I thought he understood that that there was a process that this wasn't like this isn't the be all and the end all mm -hmm. this isn't the cue that's going to make your life completely different it's going to reshape you for a short period of time but then we'll need to come back here because if you just keep going with this. You will be swinging over the top, mm -hmm. just like you took that other instruction, went out on your own, kept kept working it and working it until you you took the pendulum swung so far, uh, literally to the right that you couldn't hit the ball anymore. Now, mm -hmm. if people don't understand that that it is a balancing act between pull cuts and push draws, um, you know, and and that that. That's the healthiest place to stand is, like, find your swing every day. Find straight between those two ball flights. Yeah, I guess what I'm, what I'm saying is at least in maybe Pete, what's your, like, I guess maybe I spend too much time on Instagram of, like, golf Instagram is no one's really talking about overcorrection or, or, like, tempo or... It's all very like information based on here's how here's what the pros are doing and here's how to like do it. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Pete, it's always the, or at least most people I've come in contact with, it's always the quick fix. They're always looking for the bandage or the band aid uh, for that one day. I mean, I've had students that come in, like you said, once have a good lesson, but we did something that you need to keep continue to work on, and then they come back a month later and they're like, "Well, I'm doing this now" because they either overcorrected it or whatever, or they just didn't work on it. And uh, that seems to be the case with, I would say, the majority of, of amateur golfers is that they, they want their constant search of that one 
tip or that one quick fix. And like you said on Instagram, it's filled with that. If I look at my whatever that page is called on Instagram, uh, the explore page or something where it's a bunch of random stuff, a lot of it is like quick fix stuff. Like, oh, you hit a slice? Here's how you fix that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then all of a sudden people are hitting hooks a year later. It's like, well, what the hell happened? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's monetizing. Yeah. You know, I mean, how are we going to, um, you know, what we knew once we started this sharing thing that Mike started that uh, once uh, the internet came about, we knew that uh, kind of the, the, or at least we thought that the what of golf instruction was all going to flatten out because we were all going to have access to the same information. Hmm. But then, you know, you get this, this, well, how do I monetize, yeah. you know, what I'm doing? And, uh, and if you look around at the economy, it's like, well, you know, appeal to the worst instincts <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in no. people. Like, and and you, can, you can sell them uh, addictive foods, which will make them obese, and they'll just keep eating them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was, I mean, I was joking with Alex Pryor about, this is a little while ago, his, uh, we were messing around on track, man, his driver, he had a drive, it was a bad drive, and it was like a very negative angle of attack with driver, and then he had him do putter, and his putter angle of attack was seven, which I don't know much about, you know, what you're supposed to do with putters, but came up with the idea of, uh, he'd have a, his own golf school called seven up, seven down golf. <laughs> And it's, it's, you couldn't see. So we got a name already and it's saying, you know, know, most people say hit up with the driver. No, we want seven degrees down with the driver, seven up with the putter. And this is going to be, you know, this is the optimal way, you know, to play, to play golf. Mm -hmm. Like it's going to be the most consistent, you know, seven up, seven down, you know, there's seven days in a week. Like there's so many different ways (laughs) that we could market this, Uh, even though it's, it's just a bunch of hooey. Yeah. Hooey. It's actually would make someone play worse if they tried to do that. But you could imagine a world where we're selling it and convincing people that try this, this system out and we could have drills associated with it and training aids and videos, you know, all these things teach people seven up, seven down golf. Um, well, I mean, I mean, truly, maybe we could do like, make it a shadow company for us that could like fund our, yeah, you know, our other interests and the dark, yeah, yeah. uh, Side. So yeah, yeah, nobody knows that we're associated <laughs> with it because it would ruin the reputation. But then we yeah. could use it to, you know. Well, this help. would go right along with the morality, you know, that uh, certainly has existed since the financial meltdown. And before sure. that, wasn't wasn't all those investment no. banking houses down in the basement? Mm. They were betting against their customers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's just, but those ideas sell so much better than uh, than like. Hey, it's it's a process, and it's what yeah. works for this guy is not going to work for you. Well, like the, the, that's oh, a hard so yeah. that's a hard sell. It's a hard sell, and there's so a limit on yeah. on content on social media for how long it's going to yeah. be. So in X amount of time, you got to give all this information to somebody, and they're going to either come back and watch more, or, or you're out. Well, I mean, here you go. Uh, you know, you can build if you get good at building small bridges. You know, and giving somebody a you know a way to learn, and you give it and you give it to them, and you give some there's some reward in there, whatever the the key re- reward that we would need would be. You you could still bring them to you know a virtuous path. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what that's that's the interesting part of it is that even even though the world seems to be so off 
uh, you know, in the ways that you're describing, um, there there is a way to use the, that consciousness that's that's popular to turn it to something something better. You know, you just got to make it cool, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's got to be cool to to be in a process. I mean, that differentiates you from from everybody. I mean, how can you you know a, how can we get out there in the world and figure out how these guys are selling addictive food or stuff that's not good for you, but and use it to do good. <laughs> that's our challenge. Yeah, it's yeah. so you got to find a way to make it. I don't know, but the brain likes like the fast fix, like the fast fix. And if it's yeah. not a fast fix, if if we're not offering a fast fix and someone else is, that's hard. It's hard well, to let, let's. Not... I mean, you know, I think you got to go. Uh, you know, listen. One of the trends in golf is developing a niche. Sure. You know that didn't. You know, in the old days, you know, golf pros taught the whole game, and then along came uh, Paul Runyon and Phil Rogers, and those guys were short game masters, mm-hmm. and that went on to Dave Pels, Dave Stockton, Stan Utley. So uh, I think the people who really want the fast fix are extroverted people. I think they have a. I think that. that Introverts and extroverts are wired differently in their reward system. And uh, so we just need to appeal to introverts. Huh. Could be. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, let's go for yeah, it. Or, may, or maybe our videos need to be about why, like, other videos are bad. You mean uh, the attack dog <laughs> idea, the Jimmy Ballard idea, everybody else is common misconceptions yeah. the world is screwed up uh-huh. yeah. well i no no that definitely sells yeah i mean uh well, i think so i think if you just wanted to to make some dough no i'm i'm thinking th- <laughs> the first thing you have to do is to, is like you have to sh- help them understand that this like the seven day weight loss system isn't gonna work for you and then like you can you know you can actually make some real change Yes, but you know you have to feel good today. So that's the key. Yeah. No, I think people oh, generally. The person. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, right. if you, if you, perhaps if you can, you know, simply become uh, gain some sort of ecstasy uh, from doing good for yourself, that um, you know that there's a that you can get somebody to start following that path. Right. I mean, you know, uh, I mean, honestly, I think that uh, I have no idea how much weight I've lost in two years, but I'm it's somewhere around 30 pounds. But I didn't do it in in a week or in no, two. No. I, I did it. You know, now who would want to do that? Well, why I felt good about it was that every day I told myself I was becoming fitter. still fat but fitter (laughs) that's what i'd say to myself still fat but fitter you know and and, uh and i felt good about that yeah you know felt accomplished yeah i felt accomplished i felt i saw myself climbing the mountain Mm -hmm. right and and uh you know another another uh peg in noah's ark you know we're a little bit closer to uh being able to launch this ark in case it starts raining so, you know, I just think, I think it's the narrative. I think, it, you know, everybody has got to have a story that excites them. 
and uh, and gets them going. You know, how come, you know, how come some guys are this and yeah. some guys are that? I got a quick question for you, Pete. I know you've been around the golf business for a long time. What's the one quick tip or quick fix that's lasted throughout your career? Like, is there one thing that, like, incorrect quick tip, not something that actually helps, like something you hear on the on the range uh at a public golf course or wherever that you hear a guy telling his son or his friend, like, hey, you should do this. Is there one thing that stands out? Oh, yeah, your head. Keep your head down? <laughs> yeah. Oh, your head came up that yeah. time. Yeah. I'll watch the ball. You you, yeah. you keep your eye on the ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> tried and true. That'll never, that'll never die. Yeah. All right. Well, we've hit an hour. Maybe All right. we'll stop there. I, I I feel like there's a part two to this coming once we you know yeah. once you're back from Seattle. I have excellent kind of a lot more questions. I learned a lot. Um, Pete, thank you, Pete. Yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, it was a pleasure, Pete. Thanks, guys. Always be good. Good to be with you. Clean contact. I hit it again because that shot was a defining moment. And when a defining moment comes along, you define the moment. Come on.